When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go to run many 5e books and talk about various rules and haunted gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about Wildemount, subclasses, and magic. So... To be honest, originally we were just going to do kind of an overview on the new book, Explorer's Guide to Wildemount. But honestly, there was just a lot of things in the book that I like that I want to just talk about in more detail. So we're just going to have a couple of episodes of the various things that I like. Uh, For today, we are just going to focus in on the new subclasses introduced and the new magic that gets introduced into the world. Uh, for those who don't know, the new book, Wildemount, is based on the Critical Role podcast and campaign setting. I do not listen to the Critical Role podcast. I don't know a lot of the background. I don't know the lore. I don't know the characters. And to be honest, I don't care. I am rules guy. I'm going to talk about the rules in the new book that I think are neat. So that being said, let's dive right in. So there are a couple of new subclasses that get introduced in the book, but a lot of it is based on an entire new branch of magic in the world. And how you want to use this in your own games is, well, somewhat confusing because a lot of it is specifically for this campaign setting. So a lot of the rules that it uses are rather different. So in the wizard new subclasses that are introduced, there's a series of new spells as well added to the game that are only available to those subclasses. So they are not available to the normal spell lists or at all to other classes. So it is only these two new wizard subclasses that have access to these new spells by the rules as written in this book. As a reminder, though, a DM can always say, fuck that, to the written rules and always has the option, should you choose to do so, to just say, I like that spell. I'm just going to make that available as a spell. Uh, Wizards can have it on their list, since that makes sense. And also, let's say sorcerers and warlocks because it's kind of dark so and you can just declare that and that's fine because there are a lot of really cool spells in this book and if you don't want to use all of them if you don't want to use the limitations that are imposed here then don't but anyway uh, let's go into the actual subclasses themselves and i'll talk about more about the new spells uh later on so First off, well, actually, sorry, tangent, uh, or backtrack, rather. Before I actually do get into the subclasses, one thing I should mention. So the new uh, type of magic is called dunamancy, or dunamancy? I'm honestly not certain. I'll go with dunamancy. So it's supposed to be the primal magical energy of potential and actuality. 
So it's described in a lot of kind of weirdly metaphysical terms, almost like the force binding the energy, binding the universe together in an infinite web of unseen tethers. So it's weird, but for all intents and purposes, it's the magic of potential. So it has a lot of like gravity and a lot of time elements to it. So there's a lot of aspects to it that are pretty neat, although the lore of it is honestly kind of oddly complicated. So I'm not going to focus as much on that part. I'm just going to mention that that kind of is what it is. So now let's move on. So first off is a fighter subclass of all things called the Echo Knight. And this is a really, really cool new subclass because it has a mechanic to it that you get when you pick the subclass at level three, like you normally do for a fighter, that gives you a feature that is completely unlike, honestly, not just any fighter subclass, but any class, period, which lets you manifest an echo of yourself. So I'm just going to go ahead and read the block about the echo because it's the basis of the class. Use a bonus action to magically manifest an echo of yourself in an unoccupied space you can see within 15 feet of you. This echo is a magical, translucent, gray image of you that lasts until it is destroyed, until you dismiss it as a bonus action, until you manifest another echo, or until you're incapacitated. Your echo has AC 14 plus your proficiency bonus, one hit point, and immunity to all conditions. If it has to make a saving throw, it uses your saving throw bonus for the roll. It's the same size as you, and it occupies its space. On your turn, you can mentally command the Echo to move up to 30 feet in any direction. No action required. If your Echo is ever more than 30 feet of you, at the end of your turn, it is destroyed. You can use the Echo the following ways. As a bonus action, you can teleport, magically swapping places with your Echo at the cost of 15 feet of your movement, regardless of the distance between the two of you. When you take the attack action on your turn, any attack you make with that action can originate from your space or the Echo's space. You make this choice for each attack. When a creature that you can see within five feet of your echo moves at least five feet away from it, you can use your reaction to make an opportunity attack against that creature as if you're in the echo's space. So that was a large block of text, but that is an absolutely incredible power. So you summon up an image of you that can attack. It only has one hit point, but... It has a decent AC. So even at first level, when you only have a proficiency bonus of two, that would mean it would have 16 AC automatically at level one. And the fact that you can attack from this thing means that this fighter doesn't have to put themselves directly into combat. They can send their echo. And because it is only a bonus action to make the echo, and it does not have any limitations on 
how often you can create it. Many, many features in the game have something along the lines of you can use it a number of times equal to your, you know, intelligence modifier or wisdom modifier or whatever. Some finite number of times. This class feature has no limitation. So every turn, if you need to, as a bonus action, you can just conjure up a new echo. And the fact that you can create it within 15 feet of you is also a really cool kind of bonus. So considering the fact that you can make this thing and you can magically teleport as a bonus action, and that too has no limitation except for the action economy so if you have your echo and then end up just surrounded by enemies who ignore it and come to you then you can just use your bonus action on your next turn to just swap out so even if you're surrounded by enemies as long as your echo isn't you can just swap out and not to mention the fact that you could use an opportunity attack from your echo there's just a lot to love about this it creates a really cool just style of combat that is completely unique to this Echo Knight. So also at third level, when you get this, you gain another ability called Unleash Incarnation. You can heighten your Echo's fury. Whenever you take the attack action, you can make one additional melee attack from the Echo's position. You can use this feature a number of times equal to your constitution modifier, minimum of once. You regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. So this is an even better improvement on the action economy. So the Echo itself can attack for you. That is just part of the usual ability of your Echo. But with Unleash Incarnation, you get an additional action, uh, additional attack, rather, when you take the attack action. So once you're, let's say, level 5, then that would mean then that you get an additional attack from the Echo. So you could make two attacks, you could do one, your Echo could do one, and then you gain a third attack from the Echo's position. And that would then mean that even at level 5, for a number of turns at least, equal to your constitution modifier, which as a fighter would hopefully be at the very least decent, then you could potentially have three attacks a turn for two or three turns. And that is a massive advantage, especially considering you get that right away at third level. Then at level seven, you gain the ability Echo Avatar. You can temporarily transfer your consciousness to your Echo. As an action, you can see through your Echo's eyes and hear through its ears. During this time, you are deafened and blinded. You can sustain this effect for up to 10 minutes, and you can end it at any time requires no action. While your echo is being used in this way, it can be up to a thousand feet away from you without being destroyed. Considering that this is only a seventh level ability, that is massively useful in the right circumstances. While it's unfortunate that you would be deaf and blind, this means that you have a disposable minion that you can send up to a thousand feet away. And because you are seeing and hearing through it at that time, then that is amazingly useful as a scout, potentially. Also, one important factor is that unlike Unleash Incarnation, which has that usage limitation, Echo Avatar also does not 
have that usage limitation. So you can use this scouting ability as often as you want. But there's yet another bit of ability symbiosis between this avatar ability as well as just the regular echo. So as a reminder, when you have the echo, you can swap places with it teleporting by just expending 15 feet of your movement. And regardless of the distance between you and your echo, you can swap. So if you are in a situation where there's, you know, a pit trap, you can just have your echo cross the gap and then magically swap. You can send it into Scout, and then when you know it's safe, you can just magically swap. You could just be really fucking lazy and not want to actually have your character walk, and you can just have your Echo cross a distance, and then you just magically swap. So there are so many ways that you can use that ability, and as I so very often say, any abilities that allow you to play creatively are very much... In my wheelhouse, honestly. All right, next up at 10th level, Shadow Martyr. You can make your Echo throw itself in front of an attack directed at another creature that you can see. Before the attack roll is made, you can use your reaction to teleport the Echo to an unoccupied space within five feet of the targeted creature. That attack roll that triggered the reaction is instead made against your Echo. Once you use this feature, you can't use it again until you finish a short or long rest. So this one has a short or long rest recharge, but is amazing. Because one thing that this ability does not have is a distance limitation. It is simply a creature that you can see. So you can have, if you have, you know, just a huge open area, let's say just desert for the sake of convenience, and you just see in the distance that an attack roll is being made against, I don't know, let's say just for some reason there's a unicorn getting attacked by a giant scorpion, because magic world, why not? And you just can teleport your echo to try to take the blow. Even if this is, you know, hundreds of feet away, there's no distance limitation. You just have to be able to see it happen, and you can send your echo. If the attack misses your echo, then on your turn, you can then use that bonus action teleport and just swap yourself there. So this ability, all of these abilities sync up incredibly well with each other and give an amazing amount of mobility to a fighter with this. All right, 15th level, reclaim potential. You've learned to absorb the fleeting magic of your echo. When an echo of yours is destroyed by taking damage, you can gain a number of temporary hit points equal to 2d6 plus your constitution modifier, provided that you don't already have temporary hit points. You can use this feature a number of times equal to your con mod, minimum one. You regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. So not a earth-shattering ability, but still useful. Temporary hit points of a decent quantity and no actions that are required to do it. Just if the echo is destroyed, you can get some temporary hit points. Nifty. Then the final ability of the Echo Knight. 18th level, Legion of One. You can use a bonus action to create two echoes with your manifest echo feature and these echoes can coexist if you try to create a third echo the previous two are destroyed anything you can do from one echo's position can be done from the others instead in addition 
when you roll initiative and have no uses of your Unleash Incarnation feature left, you regain one use of that feature. So there's two things there. First off, two echoes. So you can just have those spread around, and considering the fact that you can use your opportunity attack reaction from yourself or an echo, you then have three places on the map that your fighter can make an opportunity attack from. Not to mention that other bit, when you roll initiative and have already used up your Unleash Incarnations. So that's the feature that I said a moment ago that lets you make extra attacks. So that would mean that if you start a fight without any of those left, then you can still get that bonus attack. And considering that that is an 18th level feature, then that would mean that you would have three attacks per turn normally, and then can get a fourth on one turn. So that's the Echo Knight. A really, really cool new style of fighter. I'm honestly really fond of this and really want to see more of these in the future. And now let's move on to the new wizard subclasses. So there are the one for fighter and two new ones for wizards. Chronergy and Graviturgy. So time magic and gravity magic. So starting with Chronergy. Second level. So when you pick this subclass as a wizard, Chronal Shift, you can magically exert limited control over the flow of time around a creature. As a reaction, after you or a creature you can see within 30 feet of you makes an attack roll, ability check, or saving throw, you can force the creature to re-roll. You make this decision after you see whether the roll succeeds or fails. The target must use the result of the second roll. You can use this ability twice, and you regain any expended uses when you finish a long rest. So again, for second level, that is amazing. Because it is a reaction after you or a creature you can see. Not an ally or enemy, just creature. So you can give an ally a second chance on something that you want to succeed. Or you could use it to force an enemy to reroll their crit. That is a fantastically flexible ability. Only limit being that it is only usable twice a day, but nonetheless quite powerful. And also, at second level still, you get another little bonus. Temporal awareness. Add your intelligence modifier to your initiative rolls. So that is always nifty. Because, generally speaking, a wizard is less likely to have a particularly good dexterity stat. So having them add their intelligence in addition to their dexterity can be quite useful. And not to mention kind of neat thematically that they're good with their whole shtick is, you know, time magic for the subclass. So them using their knowledge to kind of bump them up the initiative order is just kind of neat. All right. Sixth level momentary stasis as an action you can magically force a large or smaller creature you can see within 60 feet of you to make a constitution saving throw against your spell save dc unless the saving throw is a success the creature is encased in a field of magical energy until the end of your next turn or until the creature takes any damage while encased in this way the creature is incapacitated and has a speed of zero you can use this feature a number of times equal to your intelligence modifier, minimum once. You regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. 
yet another really neat ability, the ability to just force a creature into stasis. So as a refresher from our conditions episode, incapacitated means the creature cannot take any actions or reactions. So that and a speed of zero means that you have effectively eliminated one turn from the creature if you have this time direct. So it does break if they take any damage. So if you just use this on a creature and then attack others until after their turn, then this is a really, really potentially powerful way to just, with a single saving throw, eliminate a strong enemy from that round of combat. All right, 10th level, Arcane Abeyance. When you cast a spell using a spell slot of 4th level or lower, you can condense the spell's magic into a moat. The spell is frozen in time at the moment of casting and held within a gray bead for one hour. This bead is a tiny object with AC 15 and one hit point, and it is immune to poison and psychic damage. When the duration ends, or if the bead is destroyed, it vanishes in a flash of light and the spell is lost. A creature holding the bead can use its action to release the spell within, whereupon the bead disappears. The spell uses your spell attack bonus and save DC, and the spell treats the creature who released it as the caster for all other purposes. Once you create a bead with this feature, you can't do so again until you finish a short or long rest. So this is another very interesting feature to me, because this allows you to freeze a spell to allow someone else to cast. So you can use this to buff your allies with a lot of spells that a wizard has available are normally only usable on self. So you could use this to cast something like, you know, mage armor or haste that you may not want to use your action for in the heat of combat, but with the right setup, you can have this ready for an ally. And the fact that you can just put this into a bead would would also mean then that this would be an option just in the world. So then if you have this be a thing that some spellcasters in your world just have available, then that would mean that for situations where, you know, a player might really need to have the knock spell because you're trying to get in somewhere and you need it magically unlocked, but your wizard doesn't have that, then this would mean then that there is a potential for somewhere out in the world to be able to buy a spell that just has to be used in the next hour. And by that, also putting a time limit on the magic creates a countdown that your players just have to deal with. And anytime that you have that extra bit of drama of a time limit, it can be a well-played thing. All right. And then last up here, we've got at level 14, Convergent Future. Uh, Minor tangent. I do love a lot of the names for these. There's some really just cool things. Anyway, Convergent Future. You can peer through possible futures and magically pull one of them into events around you, ensuring a particular 
outcome. When you or a creature you can see within 60 feet of you makes an attack roll, ability check, or saving throw, you can use your reaction to ignore the die roll and decide whether the minimum, or sorry, decide whether the number rolled is the minimum needed to exceed or one less than that number, your choice. When you use this feature, you gain one level of exhaustion. Only by finishing a long rest can you remove a level of exhaustion gained in this way. So this is a very oddly phrased ability, but absolutely incredible if used carefully. So again, it's you or just a creature within 60 feet, so ally or enemy. And you decide whether the number will be the minimum needed to succeed or one less than that number. So I really don't like how that's phrased, but to put it in another way, let's say that you're trying to hit something that has an AC of 16. So with this feature, you can decide instead of rolling the die at all, that you just automatically roll the minimum number needed to succeed. So you just automatically say, I got a 16 or whatever the rolled number needs to be to have your result be a 16. So that's the way this is phrased is quite strange. But on the other side of things, let's say that, you know, your enemy is about to attack you and you're very low on hit points. So you could decide to use this feature to automatically have them roll one less than your AC. But there is a, a well, a couple of limits to this feature. So the fact that it is a level of exhaustion when you use this feature is really interesting. I don't know that I've ever actually seen that used as a mechanic for a class feature. So in theory, you can gain up to five levels of exhaustion and be disadvantaged, but you could do that. Six levels of exhaustion is death. So this gives you a class feature that can literally kill your character if you make the decision to do so for dramatic effect. But even if you just use it a more limited number of times, the fact that it also specifies that a long rest is the only way to remove that exhaustion makes it even more difficult because there are healing spells like Greater Restoration that can get rid of exhaustion. But because the D&D rules specific beats generic. So if there is a specific rule, then that overrides the normal rules. So in this case, normally you could heal exhaustion by greater restoration. But because this feature says only by finishing a long rest can you remove exhaustion gained in this way, then greater restoration does not cure this exhaustion by rules as written. So that is a very important limitation that there is only so many times that you can safely use this ability. But you can make the choice to be unsafe. And that is a very cool option to make available to a character of this class. All right, now moving on to Graviturgy, gravity magic. Starting at second level with adjust density. As an action, you can magically alter the weight of one creature or object you can see within 30 feet of you. The object or creature must be large or smaller. The target's weight is halved or doubled for up to one minute or until your concentration ends, as if you were concentrating on a spell. While the weight of a creature is halved by this effect, the creature's speed increases by 10 feet. It can jump 
twice as far as normal, and it has disadvantage on strength checks and strength saving throws. While the weight of a creature is doubled by this effect, the creature's speed is reduced by 10 feet, and it has advantage on strength checks and strength saving throws. Upon reaching 10th level in this class, you can target an object or a creature that is huge or smaller. So this is yet another of those class features that are kind of simple, but kind of complicated, but has a very large number of implications. So first off, this is a feature that does not have any times per day limit once again. So you can only use it for up to a minute at a time, but you can do it as often as action economy allows. Also, because of the fact that it does use your concentration, that is also important because that means you cannot have a concentration spell going while you have this effect. Also, you can not have multiple instances of this going at the same time. So you can only do it once. But considering the fact that this means then that as an action, if you cast this on yourself, you pretty much have the long strider effect, which gives you that 10 foot speed increase. Then you also get that jump increase. And the disadvantage on strength checks and saving throws just kind of makes sense if you are half your normal weight. On the other hand, this could also be used to harm an enemy in that just as an action, with that doubled weight, they are slowed by 10 feet. So you could use this to grant just a pretty severe disadvantage to just a creature that you target with this. So if you're trying to just run away from something that is normally the same speed as you with this ability, you can get you and your and your party can get away a lot more easily. Be, you know, much worse if you're attacking something that's already slow with this. So if you just cast it on something like a dwarf or a gnome that just has a 25 foot speed normally to reduce that to 15 would allow you and your party you know, if you don't have a dwarf or gnome in the party with a, so if everyone has a normal 30 foot movement speed, then you'd literally be twice as fast as they are. And well, that would suck for them, but be great for y'all. All right. Uh, next up, sixth level gravity. Well, you've learned how to manipulate gravity around the living bee. Whenever you cast a spell on a creature, you can move the target five feet to an unoccupied space of your choice if the target is willing to move. The spell hits it with an attack, or it fails a saving throw against the spell. So that's another one that's kind of oddly phrased. But in short, if you target an ally with a spell, you can move them as long as they're willing by five feet. Or if you hit an enemy with a spell, or if an enemy fails a saving throw, then they can just be moved five feet. So what is also nice about that is it does not say pushed or pulled, it just says you can move them. So what's nice about that is that it means that you get to pick the direction of the movement because you are the one manipulating the gravity around them. Also, because it is whenever you cast a spell on a creature, that would also mean that if you cast something that is area of effect, so let's go to my good old fireball, old reliable. So if you fireball a whole bunch of enemies, that any of them that failed their saving throw, you can reposition. So this has a lot of fun potential uses. It's just the one that comes to mind for me. Let's say that classic situation where the rogue of the party gets surrounded by enemies because of just poor luck or initiative or some such. 
And then with this, you can just blast your rogue as well as the enemies with fireball. And then hopefully uh, the rogue has evasion at this point and can try to avoid the damage of your fireball. And because of the fact that it is an ally, that even if they make the saving throw, they can move willingly. And any enemies who fail the saving throw can be forced to move. So this would be a way to force an enemy phalanx open to either allow you in or you to allow your allies out. So that control aspect can be really advantageous if you're smart about how you're using it. All right, 10th level, Violent Attraction. When another creature that you can see within 60 feet of you hits with a weapon attack, you can use your reaction to increase the attack's velocity, causing the attack's target to take an extra 1d10 of the weapon's type. Alternatively, if a creature within 60 feet of you takes damage from a fall, you can use your reaction to increase the fall's damage by 2d10. You can use this feature a number of times equal to your intelligence modifier, minimum once you regain all when you finish a long rest. So this one is much more limited than some of the others, so but number of times equal to your intelligence modifier. Excuse me. But as a wizard, hopefully you've got, you know, at least a plus two or a plus three, hopefully more than that. But point being, you can increase damage for a weapon attack. What is nice about that is that it does not specify melee or range, just weapon. So you can use that to just use your reaction to just make one of your allies' attacks deal more damage. And the fact that a wizard, hopefully, is never in a condition to need their reaction for the sake of opportunity attacks, this is a good way to get some extra damage for the party using a wizard's reaction, which, again, hopefully they don't need for something like shield. All right, and then final one, 14th level, Event Horizon. As an action, you can magically emit a powerful field of gravitational energy that tugs at other creatures for up to a minute or until your concentration ends, as if you were concentrating on a spell. For the duration, whenever a creature hostile to you starts its turn within 30 feet of you, it must make a strength saving throw against your spell save DC. On a failed save, it takes 2d10 force damage, and its speed is reduced to zero until the start of its next turn. On a successful save, it takes half as much damage, and every foot it moves this turn costs two extra feet of movement. Once you use this feature, you can't do so again until you finish a long rest or until you expend a spell slot of third level or higher on it. So there are actually quite a few aspects to that that are quite interesting. So first off, it's an action to conjure and you can just have it going for up to a minute once a day unless you expend a spell slot of third level or higher. Considering the fact that this is a 14th level class feature, you have quite a number of higher level spell slots at that point already and even more as you level up farther. So you could potentially use this pretty constantly during combat unless you're getting into like way too many fights honestly if you need more than that anyway but the fact that it is whenever a creature hostile to you starts its turn within 30 feet so it only affects your enemies which is amazingly convenient for you not to mention the fact that because it's within 30 feet that is a pretty huge area of effect to have a 30 foot radius and because of is, if they fail the save, their speed is zero 
meaning they cannot move at all and take a chunk of damage. And this is to everyone in a 30-foot radius area every turn for up to a minute. That is incredible as a control. Also, even if they save, they will still take half of that damage, and every foot costs two extra feet of movement. So I don't like how they phrase movement like that. So to rephrase, that would mean that every one foot of movement costs three, because it's two extra feet. So in practical terms, a creature with a 30-foot movement speed can only move 10 feet if they succeeded on the save, and on a failed, just flat out cannot. But considering that also, 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 I should say with all the one more things, anyway, because it is half as much damage on a successful save, that means that with this ability, you can deal 2d10 damage and still do half on the successful save. So that creates a zone of automatic damage for up to a minute whenever someone starts their turn in that area. So if you have a 14th level Graviturgy wizard, that means that you have this power. If you just went like a bad guy with this would be fucking terrifying in the world. Because if they just walked through a normal town, commoners don't have a whole lot of hit points. So even if they succeed on the saving throw, they will still take half of that 2d10 automatically. So they would basically just get crushed to death by this gravity aura that this ability gives. So this would slaughter pretty much all regular townsfolk within 30 feet of this character. And that is fucking terrifying. So that is it for the actual subclasses. Uh, Obviously, I'm rather enthusiastic about a number of those abilities. But one other aspect of all of these new subclasses, and most importantly, actually, for the wizard ones, is that there are a number of new spells in the book as well that add to the, you know, two Dunamancy subclasses. So I'm not going to go through all of them because there's a whole bunch, something somewhere between 10 and 15. I don't remember exactly. But I'm just going to go over a couple of them that I feel are particularly neat. So there's a new level one divination spell, Gift of Alacrity. So it, it takes a minute to cast, so you cannot cast it in combat, but it does have a duration of eight hours. And what it does, you touch a willing creature for the duration, the target can add 1d8 to its initiative rolls. That's a really cool spell. The idea of just giving an extra d8 for any initiative roll for eight hours, that is a cool use of a first level spell. Another fun one, Wrist Pocket. So this one is a second level spell, one action to cast, and a concentration up to one hour duration. Uh, also, it only has a somatic component, which means it needs a motion. It does not have a verbal component. So this would very much be a spell that you could cast rather stealthily. So what it does, 
you flick your wrist, causing an object in your hand to vanish. The object, which only you can be holding and can weigh no more than five pounds, is transported to an extra-dimensional space where it remains for the duration. Until the spell ends, you can use your action to summon the object to your free hand, and you can use your action to return the object to the extra-dimensional space. An object still in the pocket plane when the spell ends appears in your space at your feet. So that is the thief's dream, first of all. So if you have an arcane trickster rogue that you know, takes a couple of levels in wizard to gain access to it. Or if you do just change the rules to just add that to the wizard spell list, that would be amazing for any rogue type characters to have. Or even on like the, you know, less bad side of things, this would be a really easy way to just be able to sneak an object that you want. So let's just say that you know, you're going into that classic situation where there's a fancy party and no weapons allowed. This gives you the option to have your weapon available. Uh, let's see. There's honestly a lot of cool ones, but I don't want to go through all of them. So let's just go with two more. So now let's just jump up the list. A new eighth level spell. Dark Star. One action to cast with a duration of up to a minute with concentration. Honestly, before I even start, I'm just going to say this one might well be my favorite in the new batch. The spell creates a sphere centered on a point you choose within range. The sphere can have a radius of up to 40 feet. The area within the sphere is filled with magical darkness and crushing gravitational force for the duration it's the area's difficult terrain a creature with dark vision can't see through the magical darkness and non-magical light can't illuminate it no sound can be created within or pass through the area any creature or object entirely within the sphere is immune to thunder damage and creatures are deafened while entirely inside it Casting a spell that includes a verbal component is impossible there. Any creature that enters the spell's area for the first time on a turn or starts its turn there must make a constitution saving throw. The creature takes 8d10 force damage on a failed save or half on a successful one. A creature reduced to zero hit points by this damage is disintegrated. A disintegrated creature and everything it is wearing and carrying except magic items are reduced to a pile of fine gray dust. Holy shit, that is a dangerous fucking spell. So a radius of up to 40 feet for up to a minute. So that means that if you cast this on a hallway, then you would have an 80 foot long chunk of this magical darkness, which would practically guarantee that creatures without a speed boost would potentially take up to two turns of this damage. And if this does kill someone, the fact that they just get fucking disintegrated is awesome slash terrifying. Uh, especially considering that something disintegrated can pretty much only get brought back by a true resurrection or wish. So it's only a ninth level spell could then bring someone back who was killed by that. And then as the last one that I'll cover, a new ninth level spell, Time Ravage. 
action to cast instantaneous duration. You target a creature you can see within range, putting its physical form through the devastation of rapid aging. The target must make a constitution saving throw, taking 10d12 necrotic damage on a failed save or half as much on a successful one. If the save fails, the target also ages to the point where it has only 30 days left before it dies of old age. In this aged state, the target has disadvantage on attack rolls, ability checks, and saving throws, and its walking speed is halved. Only the wish spell or greater restoration cast with a ninth level spell slot can end these effects and restore the target to its previous age. Again, that is fucking terrifying. Disregarding the just chunk of damage, the fact that a failed save ages someone where they have 30 days to live, well, that's just neat. So, in summation, the new Wildemount book has a number of new subclasses that have a lot of abilities that are pretty damn neat, and also a lot of fun new spells to play around with. So, I do highly suggest uh, getting a look at the book yourself because there is a whole lot more in there that is a lot of fun to play around with thanks for listening to this episode of riffs and rules please leave us a review and give us five stars on itunes also support us on patreon at patreon.com slash podcast tune stars low as a dollar and even that much really helps us out supporters get benefits such as behind the scenes content early access to episodes access to patreon discord where we will chat with the cast and even a shout out on the show find us on social media on twitter at riffwake podcast on facebook as riffwake and on reddit on the subreddit r slash riffwake podcast and now send us an email riffs and rules at gmail.com that's riffs and rules at gmail.com thanks for listening bye when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.